Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. Okay, so welcome back to The Real Journey Show. Today, we have a very special guest. He is not only a friend, but he is an outstanding educator, a principal, a dad of lots of kiddos, (laughs) and just a wonderful human altogether presenter. Um, educational influencer, Joshua Stanford. Thank you for joining The Real Journey Show. Oh, it's such an honor to be with you, Tara. Awesome. So for anyone who doesn't know who you are, what you do, I know I didn't give the best intro ever. So please do tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'm an administrator in Texas and um, my journey has been an art teacher and a coach, which is an odd combo in itself. But, um, you know, aspired to be a leader and, and became a assistant principal and kind of worked my way um, through that process. And um, in addition, I'm, I've got a, a podcast that I created for aspiring leaders and that was kind of developed due to some connections I had with the district where I was a part of a program and the district took that over and I just wanted to provide that information and be able to, to share some knowledge and wisdom from other people like yourself <laughs> and um, try and help them through their leadership journey. I love Aspire Leadership. Uh, It actually inspired me to start this podcast, which I know you were pretty influential in teaching Mm -hmm. me all the ropes of this podcast in the back channel. So thank you so much for that too. Oh, my pleasure. So on the Real Journey Show, Josh, we just kind of like to hear from our participants a little Mm -hmm. bit about a real life journey that you've gone through and real is just simply you know being relatable exposing a little vulnerability approachable and learning through life so we would love to hear one of your real journeys yeah I want to talk about kind of the personal and professional side of things Um, me and my wife oh goodness seven eight years ago we started the process for foster care and really felt called to to go through that process. And it kind of intersected the same time when I was a teacher and art teacher trying to, you know, get to that next level. And at the time when I was a teacher, I was in a very affluent school and there really wasn't much discipline issues at all. Um, I had a lot of opportunities through my mentor to shadow and then also be the Dean of Students. And in, in Texas, there's a lot of schools that have the Dean of Students and all they do is discipline. Um, so I got kind of behind the scenes and I got to experience that. And I'll be honest, at that school, it was a very traditional model of discipline. You know, it was ISS, OSS. Um, at the same time, me and my wife were going through foster care training and I wasn't really into it. I was like, why do I need to be taught how to be a parent? At the time we had two biological children. I'm like, I know this, I got this. And we started going through a training um, through Karen Purvis. Uh, she's a she was, she, she passed away a couple years ago, but she was a professor um, at TCU and she was, um, her training's TBRI, it's Trust-Based Relational Interventions. 
and at the time I'm like, this is kumbaya stuff. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not what I'm about. Um, and again, it was mostly because of my background, um, you know, being a child and my parents using a very traditional, you know, punitive type of structure and then going through the school, school system that was the same way. And because of that experience, I just kind of didn't really believe in what I was being taught. Well, I got promoted to a dean of students in a Title I school. And at that school, I came in thinking, oh, I'm going to be this great administrator. I know what to do. I've, I've had that experience at my last school. Um, so it's going to be really simple. There's, it should be an easy transition. And I just got knocked down pretty quick. <laughs> that, that pride was very much a fall. Um, because although the staff was loving everything I was saying, what I didn't realize was the needs of our students on that campus. And these were students that didn't have food, um, wouldn't see their parents for days. Um, some of their parents were dealing drugs. Some of the kids were on drugs. I mean, there was just, they were in gangs. I mean, there was just a lot of experiences that these kids had that I didn't know um, in my own life. And so coming in with a traditional mindset, I was suspending kids left and right. And I was sending them home and I was sending them back to places that were only making their lives more difficult and only creating more trauma. And so in that frustration, I was like, I don't even know what to do. And in foster care, every single year, you have to go back and you have to do the same trainings um, to be licensed. And so me and my wife went back and again, went through this TBRI training and it just clicked. And I was starting to realize, okay, this is exactly what I need. And I remember like frantically writing down notes <laughs> of, of what was going on in this and what it was talking about was just how, you know, through trauma, it, it changes the biology of our children. And that could be in utero or that could be um, outside of utero and, and through experiences. And so, um, you know, things I didn't even realize was like neglect. Neglect is one of the major forms of abuse in the United States. And it doesn't matter if, where you are economically, if you are rich or poor, neglect is there. Um, and just seeing just the, the heartache and, and what these kids were going through and then also learning about the brain as far as them in a traumatic situation, just their brain shuts down. And so learning that information um, really helped me to focus on like de-escalation and how to use those strategies, how to make kids feel safe, um, just kind of changed everything for me. And because of that, I then started researching restorative practices, trauma-informed, um, strategies and implementing that in my own practices and then trying to build off that and trying to make that campus wide. Man, that's a lot. I, I can relate to so much of that <laughs> personally um, yeah. and professionally. I worked inner city my first six years of teaching and yeah, that, the, I loved working inner city because it was an opportunity to give back to kids like me. Yeah. Um, I come from a little bit different backgrounds, you know, where I lived it, but I didn't fully understand the science, which is what I think mm -hmm. you're talking about alluding, yeah. to, you know, and I feel like, um, I love that you said it just finally clicked because for me, once I started visiting a therapist and mm -hmm. learning more about why my brain thinks the way that it does and why, um, why I get into this traumatic, like the traumatic loop inside my brain goes back to a, a situation where I was at that 
fight or flight, you know, moment. Yep. And it never really goes away, but you learn coping skills for how to deal with it. And exactly. so until I really started to educate myself on why my mind was doing that, I, I fully couldn't understand my students, you know, because I knew what it felt I, like the empathy was there because I felt it too. And so mm-hmm. I think our hearts were able to have these conversations with no words, but to fully understand and really not even you can't really understand because they're, everybody's no. is different, but to yeah. see, like empathize and to try to see it from their perspective in a scientific, like with science was um, eye opening for me until I started to learn more about why it happens for me. So yeah. I feel like I can relate to you in that aspect. And I think so often I feel like Josh, that there are a lot of teachers out there. They they want to support their students. They want to, and principals, administrators, mm-hmm. they want to be everything they can for those students. But a lot of times, I, I like that you talked about, you just went to the traditional model of leading a school because that's what you knew. Yep. And that's what worked for you in the last situation. And I, I feel like a lot of times we do that, not just as educators, but also as parents, and as adults. Yeah. And it's, and and also adults with no no children, <laughs> you know. Yep. A lot of times, I would hear people say, "Well, if that was my kid." I'm like, "Well, it's a good thing it's not your kid." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just have no idea what that student, what that child is going through, and yeah, it's just hard to see things from a new perspective and really understand how to discipline students, how to give them the care that they need, and 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 not send them into OSS. OSS was the worst ever. In fact, yeah. all of my siblings were always kicked out of school. Always. I was definitely the exception to all the rules when it came to my siblings. And they loved it. They loved being kicked out of school because they could do all the crazy things that they did. And they got in more mischief, more trouble. Hmm. And yeah, they... It was like fuel to their fire, but it was terrible. Like I yeah. never wanted to be at home, <laughs> not, not in the summer, not on the breaks ever. No. <laughs> and so it was a dangerous place. But when, when kids are following that path, especially teenagers, that's the last thing we want them to do is be kicked out of school. I mean, school is where they need to be. And yes. school is a place where they can actually pr- have some structure. Yeah, um, structure and safety. Um, for many of our students, yeah, I, I just don't think teachers understand how prevalent trauma is for our students. And you know, ACEs is a big test, and that's not the only test for to identify trauma. But you know, just the studies that are going out and the data that's out there, it, it's really prevalent out there for students. And again, it doesn't matter economically. Um, right. I think a lot of times the misperception is that you know, if a student is poor, you know, they're they're in some form of trauma, and and. I guess data does support that a little bit. It's more more prevalent there. But the point being is like (laughs) human beings, you know, a lot of our students that are sitting in our, in our classrooms need that, that support, that emotional support. And our kids are not there in our school building only to learn math and science. You know, they're there to learn the social and emotional um, aspects of, of how to relate how to have healthy relationships and so many of our students have a distorted view of what that is and so that's kind of been my goal is 
and you were saying too, like our experiences, right? When you are a new teacher, you don't have the experiences of let's say classroom management. And so you're going to default to what you experienced as a student. And most of us as a student have gone through a traditional form of classroom management. And so for me, like that was my default. It didn't work for me as a child, (laughs) but because I didn't have that experience, that was my default. And the same goes for as a parent, right? When you have a brand new child, you don't know how to be a parent. You're just learning as you go. And so when you don't know how to react in a situation, you default to what you did experience. And again, that's generally a traditional model. Um, and not, not all traditional model is bad, but um, when you're talking about a child with trauma, that's only going to intensify things. Exactly. And when you're, <laughs> when you're yelling at a kid and they've had trauma, what happens, like you said, with the biological piece is that their brain shuts down. And so it's, it's fight, flight, or freeze. And if a student gets to that point, it doesn't matter what you say to that child. It's not computing with their brain. And so I always like to teach not only my teachers, but my students too, is like out and the listeners can't see this, but if you have a flat hand and you put your thumb inside your hand and you, and you fold your hand down over your thumb, that's essentially like your brain. And so your amygdala is your thumb and it looks like the wrong way to punch essentially. But when your fingers come down over your thumb, it's essentially your brain in survival mode. And so when a child is in survival mode, that is not the time to try and teach the appropriate behavior. And unfortunately, so many times that's what occurs in the school is that they try and use that time when a student is at a very heightened state to try and teach. And it goes sideways very, very fast. When a child is in an escalated state, the only thing that we should be doing as educators is trying to de-escalate them and to get them to a regulated emotional state so that we can get them to actually you know, calm down and have a rational conversation. And you know what? That may take 45 minutes to an hour. That's very natural. Um, unfortunately, we like to try and speed things up because it's inconvenient for us um, because we have things that we need to get done um, in regards to the curriculum. So um, when, like for me, it's trying to change the mindset of if a kid is in an isolated state, the rest of the day does, is probably out the window. Like we just need to understand that and accept it. And as soon as we can accept it, the easier it will be to, to move forward because they're not learning math. Let's be honest. If they're in an escalated state, it doesn't matter what you're trying to teach them. They're not going to learn. So um, let's look at the emotional needs first before we start looking at the academic. So true. And it's so hard to do because like you said, everything takes so much time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's so invaluable. And I, I felt like this as a teacher too, um, to teach kids that piece, you know, mm-hmm. to help them to understand once they come down from that high state of mind that, you know, like when you were feeling this, what, what caused you to go there and, and how yep. can we prevent it for next time? One of the things that, I feel like I see a therapist once a month, whether I need her or not. I love her so much. She's my wellness doctor and she sees me for all things. Um, She's just a jack of all trades. But one of the things I love about her is she'll ask me, you know, about my journal entries and she'll say, you know, so what led to these feelings? How did you, what happened that caused beforehand that caused this emotion or your brain to revert back to that childhood moment. 
and to stay in this state for, for too long. And as an adult, you know, it's, and an educator, and I want to figure this all out, you know, mm-hmm. that's a different situation than students. However, I remember like once, I'm sorry, let me back up. Once we get to that place, I'm like, okay. And so then she will say like, how can we prevent that for next time? So let's yep. think about it. When this starts to come on, what can we put in place that will help you to, you know, divert that mental uh, state, like to, to change your thought process, to build a new route so mm-hmm. your thoughts can think differently. And it's challenging and it's really hard. And there's so much of the traumatic pieces that, like I said, they never leave, but you learn how to deal with them. Yep. But for little people and, and teenagers too, for students, there are things that my coaches used to do for me. I think back to my volleyball coach, especially just reminding me that, you know, when you get to this place, um, how can we, and she didn't say just think positive because honestly, that doesn't work. <laughs> like when no. you were in that state of mind, it, it doesn't work. And if you're going home to hell on earth every single day, it's, it's very difficult to think positive. It's not easy yep. just to, I can put on a smile, like at school, I would put on a smile. A lot of people didn't know exactly what was happening in my life, but you can't just think yourself out of those kinds of situations, but you can learn strategies. And so I think that's kind of where you were going, you know, helping them deescalate. They're not learning anyway. Their mind is in another place. And then once they come down, trying to help them to develop just things that they can put in place. One of the things that my elementary teacher, my second grade elementary teacher gave me was fidgets and fidgets weren't a big thing back then. Like you didn't have ball seats that you could bounce around on and stuff like that. We didn't have that kind of stuff, but I had a little piece of Velcro that was stuck way up inside of my desk. And first of all, I was super socially awkward. Um, I didn't have any friends. She didn't want to make it any more awkward for me because already it was really bad. So Mm -hmm. I had this hidden piece of Velcro that I could like rub on and like try to calm myself down because I had sensory processing issues. I, we didn't know about those either back then, but there were things like that, that when I started getting overwhelmed about having to go home, especially at the very end of the day, then I knew that was Velcro time. Like that was time for me to kind of try to calm those thoughts and reroute those thoughts, right? So I could manage it. And I think, you know, as educators, I know that's so simple, but sometimes it doesn't have to be really challenging. It's one of the things Dr. D talks about, you know, my, my therapist, she's like, some strategies, I'm like, whoa, that's so simple. And she goes, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be like this rocket science. No, You are just trying to divert thoughts, help yourself to cope and, and get over this hump that you're about to go through traumatically and be able to come out more healthy on the other side. So I appreciate you sharing that. So thinking about your your own situation in your home with foster kiddos, mm-hmm. um, how has that really helped you? I, I mean, I'm sure being a dad has really changed your levels of empathy for your own students at school. I oh, completely. More about that. <laughs> yeah, completely. I think like what you're saying though, too, is like 
our three, so we've adopted three boys um, through this journey. Um, we've had five placements and um, it's been f- a fantastic like experience for us. In fact, so much so that we we're licensed again. <laughs> um, so all that being said is like, I think for me, it's just our boys have been in our house from almost day one. Some of them straight from the hospital to our home. Um, others ha- have been with loving families since day one. Even so, they still had trauma in utero. And because of that and what they were exposed to, it's completely changed how they function in life. And some of it's sensory, some of it's, you know, just the way that their brain is, is made up, right? Um, attention to different things. Um, that was not even in my forefront of my mind. Like I didn't even realize how much a human being could change just in that development in the womb. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm looking at it in a totally different lens because I'm starting to see like, yes, this, this child is in a very loving home, but there are still some things that need to be addressed and how can we work through that and trying to open up some educators minds as far as what you're talking about, like flexible seating. Why are we dying on the hill (laughs) for a child to sit on the ground to read? if that's what's best for them. If the goal is for them to read 20 minutes a day, then does it matter where they're doing that? Um, you know, something as simple as that, a, a fidget, right? How distracting is that in the educational environment when, when it calms and makes a child feel safe? Like, is, shouldn't that be our number one priority? And so I think for a lot of educators, they want to do what's best for their children. It's just they don't know what to do or they don't know the need that's there. Um, I thought from uh, our last campus, this activity was really (laughs) eye-opening. We did a PBIS activity where we were in the cafeteria and there was like different steps and different levels. And we said, if you've been sent to the principal's office zero times, stand here, one time, stand here, two times, three times, more than three times in, in your educational career, Tara, where do you think most people landed? <laughs> zero. Yeah, zero. Like 95, 98% of all the teachers, you know, it was this huge herd. And then, you know, it trickled down, you know, one time was a very small group and then less and less people until you got to the highest step. Well, for me, I was on the top step and I'm the administrator, right? I, I did get sent to the principal's office for various reasons um, in my educational career. Was I a bad kid? No. But my experience was far different in education than the majority of my educators. And so what that says to me is that a lot of our teachers have a lot of success. They they experienced a lot of success, not only in their home life, but in the educational environment. And so what was a traditional setup was something that they flourished in. And so for them, they're naturally going to replicate that. (laughs) So many of our kids, (laughs) that's not the case. School is a very hard struggle for them. And so there's just this identity shift that needs to happen. Um, and, And like you said, it's hard because if that's not your experience, it's hard to identify what those feelings are and what's going on in their brain and what's going on in, even in their skin. Some, some of our kids don't even enjoy wearing clothes. Like yeah. to that, 
is restricting and it feels uncomfortable. Um, one of my boys, I mean, he gets home and it's just like stripping off everything except for his underwear because he can't stand being in them any longer. Is that good or bad? I, no, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's yeah. what's natural for him and that's what he needs. Um, you know, we, thankfully we have a great school that the boys go to and they're, the teachers are fantastic, but they need brain breaks. They need to get up. They need to move. They need to, you know, do things different than what you wouldn't think a typical child needs. And if our, if we didn't have such wonderful teachers, their experience would be very, very flawed. So true. And, and those are things that I think in life, we just have to be more in general, we just need to be more flexible because I know until I started seeing, and I, I keep relating your situations back to me, but it's just all I know. But when I started <laughs> seeing um, my therapist, one of the things she was talking about is, you know, your fidgets and do you still use them? And I'm like, yes, like I hide them in my backpack when I travel and I still go to sleep with one every night. Like I, I am still very much, that is a, I learned that in second grade. I'm 41 years old. I still use it today. And so she's like, why are you afraid of it? Like when you get on the airplane, just grab it out. There's no reason to hide it in your backpack. You don't have to hide in your desk any longer. Like this is just a part of what makes you, you. And, you know, just learning um, that even as an adult has been so, um, what would it be like freeing? <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is a part of who I am. It's part of my real me. And I have noise canceling earmuffs. Yep. I, I mean, I get on the plane all the time. Not right now, <laughs> but <laughs> typically it's a couple of times, four or five times a month. I'm on a plane and multiple planes and I do all of these things. I have my noise canceling earmuffs. I have the oils, essential oils that I put yep. under my nose to cancel smells. And then I have my fidgets. And you know what? I get on the plane and I, I'm not ashamed of it any longer just because someone has told me that, you know what? This is just a part of you. It doesn't really matter if people think it's weird because it helps you. Like if it's going to help you mentally, it's going to help you to be successful in everything you do. You're headed to go speak to people. <laughs> like you've got to be mentally prepared for that, ready for that. And so I think as educators, I, what I hear you saying and echoing is just, even if this isn't something that we've ever experienced, that it, it could be the norm for that kid. And you, you could yes. set the norm for that kid to where they can be successful every single time. And also just building the community around your classroom and your school that this is okay. Like this mm -hmm. is, that is what works best for Tara. And we're going to be okay with that because that's what we do. And I don't know, that was something I really tried to do a lot in my classroom as a teacher, as a classroom teacher, for sure. We had all kinds of everything that people offered to me as a kid. I was offering it to my kids, even if I didn't know <laughs> the science behind it. And so yeah. things were happening. We were flexible seating before it was ever even a thing. And yep. it just worked. And I loved giving kids the opportunity to be in an environment where if, if that works for you, let's do it, you know? And I felt like well, everyone I, yeah. was receiving of it. Like they, they loved each other. <laughs> they appreciated well, each other. And that's important too, Tara, is like you gave ownership to them, right? You, you allowed them to speak what they needed. and 
so many times our kids don't feel control. They don't have any control of the situation at home. And so when we give that to them at school, how powerful is that? Like for them to say, I need a fidget. I need to take a walk right now. I need to go get a drink of water, right? How, how powerful is that to, for them to advocate for themselves to say, I need this. And then a teacher to say, yes, you may. And then they feel better emotionally <laughs> and sometimes physically to then go and learn like what power is that and how, why would we want to stifle that? Right. I mean, as human beings, we want to have control. Like everything you just said, right. About being in a plane that gives you a sense, sense of control to get back to your normal. Like you're feeling great about going, you know, where you needed to on a plane. But so many, off, so many times, like in the school, a kid just feels like people are telling them what to do all the time, if they want to or not. And then they go home to a, a structure that, or, you know, an environment that may be toxic that they have absolutely no control over. It's so true. And I think that's in life, right? We're dealing with this COVID-19 right. and we are so out of control. What, like we don't have any control over what's happening. And so I, I've found <laughs> that the few things that I can control, which is like my workout regimen, that yep. I'm almost obsessed with it because it's one thing I know is going to happen. I can set benchmarks and I can make goals. And yep. I think our learners are the same way. If that's why it was, that's why school was a safe haven for me. I, in elementary school, I had just some great teachers that kind of gave me that control, but then later it became sports. And that was what I zeroed in on. I, I zeroed in on academics, of course, but sports was an outlet for me that I could, I was good at it. And I just couldn't wait to get to athletics and then practice. And I would always stay over and practice anything that kept me out of the home was perfect. And, but it also, it just comes back to that place where you feel like that you can be successful and we need to provide those opportunities for all our learners, adults, kids as well, you know, opportunities for them to feel like they can thrive and they can do well, because that is where you reroute those synapse in your mind and you start to build these anchors. For me, it's like anchors where I was the first generation graduate, right? Yeah. So me too. that was, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> that was an anchor for me. I'm like, oh, I did that. So I can do that. Like I went on and continued yep. education, but those little moments of success throughout our lives, I think that's what helps you kind of keep carrying on. And if we can provide those as educators for kids, that's just so valuable. When I think students need to find success in whatever way possible. So it doesn't need to just be in the core subjects. Like for me, I didn't go to school really to learn. I went for athletics and I went for art. Like I wanted to be creative and I wanted to, like have that open, like the, again, control piece, right? I wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And so I was able to do that in art and then athletics. I was very go, go, go all the time. Like my mom sometimes would just say run around the house because you're driving me crazy. Right. Um, cause I was just, just my energy all the time and, um, extremely active in sports, but just like you, like that was my safe haven. That was my escape. That was something I was successful in. Um, and I absolutely loved doing it and was in it wholeheartedly, but I didn't go to school for anything else other than those two things. And if I didn't have those, and unfortunately, a lot of schools, you know, due to budgetary reasons, they, they get rid of a lot of wonderful programs. But we have to understand that so many of our kids that have gone through trauma, you know, their brain works in a different way. 
and they may be extremely intelligent, just not what the typical intelligence looks like. <laughs> and so we have to be open to that and, and celebrate them and have opportunities for them to, you know, explore outside of just academic rigor. So, you know, if it's fine arts, you know, theater, you know, I don't know if they can sew, right. If they can create whatever it might be. Um, some of your students are going to have professions that are outside of anything that we've ever seen before. So it's like, how are we setting up a structure for them to be successful in that? Um, instead of, again, working through a traditional model where, you know, it's really preparing students for <laughs> professions that are going to be extinct, extinct soon. It's so true. I get to, unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, no, fortunately, I get to kind of live that thing that we've always taught kids. You know, we always say, we're preparing you for jobs that aren't yet created. <laughs> and, um, but yet we still, in a lot of situations, still try to help them make the grade and get to this next level and move to this next skill. But the truth of the matter is, like in my new role, it's just been eye-opening for me to actually be in a role that's never yet been created. Yeah. Not that this title has never been created, but at DBC Inc., it had never been created. So building a role from the ground up is just, whew, it's so challenging. And one of the things I've found that if I were to do things differently in my classroom, that I would give my kids more opportunities to struggle through the process of developing something and especially in their passion area, because this is definitely in my passion area. It's all about writing, which I love. It's all about creating, which I love. It's all about serving authors and coaching authors, which I love. Those are all three things that I love. And I feel like that's why the Burgesses felt like I was girl for the job, but <laughs> having never done this side, this business side of things, it was so, so difficult to try to figure out like, put systems in place in this area of our company. And it takes just a ridiculous level of persistence, mm -hmm. um, of stamina to be able to like deal with the transitioning of system. Like this didn't work, this kind of worked, you know, how do we tweak and change this to fit a little bit better? And this isn't really helping our book sell. So what are we going to do differently? Like, I like to be a perfectionist. I I was when I joined the job, I was looking for the rubric and I wanted to know like what is English. And yeah. Dave told me right off the bat, like you don't have a rubric. Like you've got to build this from the ground up. So what are you gonna do? And one of the first things I learned that I needed to do was serve my people. And that, mm -hmm. Josh, is one of the things that I knew I was capable of doing because when I walked into my classroom, it's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve those kids and try to figure out like what it is that they need. And I just talked about this, no matter how wild it seemed, whatever they needed, that's what I tried to put in place so we could learn. And so yeah. I was like, okay, I know how to do that. So maybe I survey the authors, I survey the readers, and what is it that you need to be able to grow professionally from this company? And that's what I started figuring out. They, they were telling me all these things they need. Well, unfortunately, I didn't know how to do them. So then I had to watch YouTube videos and figure out how to do it. And that's where I'm thinking as an educator, yes, I provided a lot of the needs for my kids to help them to be successful. What I wish I would have done differently is given them that same opportunity, like to figure out what is it that you're passionate about? And then let's just go figure out 
what needs are out there based around that passion and how do we build a project that actually serves needs? Because when you're serving people, it changes what you do. You know that you have to do well because other people are counting on you. And I don't know that we give kids enough opportunities to do projects like that. And that's really what builds that stamina and that persistence, because I think we need to take it to that next level. And how does it actually serve people? Yes. Because, and then doing it, (laughs) because that's the hard part. And that is the, that's the real learning takes place during those times and standards are easily checked off. You know, when I think about standards of an administrator, I checked off so many boxes in this role, like doing that, but I didn't have a rubric. Mm -hmm. I learned it by doing, I learned it by discovering. So, well, like education as a system too, like you talked about failure. Failure is not accepted. (laughs) School is a structure of pass, pass, pass. And so like for what you're saying, like in your job, like that's real world. Like how many times, Tara, have you failed in your, in your job? Oh gosh. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but like if you were in school, you, you wouldn't pass. Right. Even though you've been successful, you are very successful in your, in your role, in your job. And that's evident every single day, but that's, that's because you're allowed that failure. You're allowed to make mistakes, to learn from it and to move forward, to find a better solution. And how many times are we giving our students any choice and how we're assessing their mastery? Like if, if I'm only giving a child a Scantron (laughs) to, to work through multiple choice to, to learn what they know, am I doing them justice as far as assessing what they're capable of doing? And so many times I think we're, we're lost. We're like, we're, like education is just in this box. It has to be, it has to fit inside this. And and I think, you know, with the distance learning thing right now, I think that's opening a lot of teachers. I know on my own campus too, like things like standard space grading and um, self-paced teaching and, Hey, I'm giving a menu and kids that have never done anything before they get a choice as far as how they want to show mastery. And I'm getting this amazing stuff that I've never seen before. Well, why is that? because they have the autonomy to show what they know and they have the time to work through that. You know, school used to be the teacher was only the only one providing the information. And that's not the case anymore. We have more at our fingertips than ever before. <laughs> like once we got the smartphone, that's a game changer for everybody. So how are we, how are we changing with the times? Like why are we still in a system that looks the same as, Sometimes like 1800s. I mean, (laughs) I hate to say it, but sometimes you go into a classroom and it's like, it's the same as it's been for a hundred years. Right. It's so true. And I think, you know, we don't want to program kids to be like me that was like, okay, where's my rubric? You know, like (laughs) I want to check all the things off in the farthest right-hand box because that's what I do. And honestly, as, as a perfectionist, I, I've always strived for perfection, even as a little kid. It's another issue that I definitely deal with daily. But not having that checkbox list 
was almost scary, like really scary. So I feel mm-hmm. like even if we're talking about these things and if teachers you're listening and you're like, okay, I'm just about to open it up. Like <laughs> I will tell you, it's super, like I was so terrified. I'm like, Dave, should we hire someone to teach me how to graphic design? Like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And he's like, Tara, we don't need to hire anyone. There's plenty of stuff out there. Like go, yep. go find it. But but we can teach them the skills on the back end, like the persistence piece, like yes. allowing them to have small projects that they have to develop those skills, discovery, learning, persistence, um, stamina <laughs> to like yep. keep going. And then how do I serve my people? How do I find out what they need? Those are kind of things that I think we can bite-sized chunk out to where they start to build these levels of success in those areas and start to feel like, okay, if I were to take on a bigger project, you know, I would be able to tackle this. And I know that you're right there guiding me along the way. And I had that too. I had Dave and Shelly, you know, right there with me if I was not successful. And so, yeah, I just, it's, it's so strange how the human body, like the human mind works especially when we're used to getting the grade and we know exactly what it takes to get the grade. And yep. so for some of our students, they can't ever like, there's, there's something limited in them from learning, you know? And so that's a different story than it's just a struggle yeah. all the time. But for some of us, yeah. like I'm a straight A student, you know, and I was from the time I learned to read in second grade on, I never struggled in school again, but it was always like, what does it take to make a plus or a hundred percent. Like I just always wanted to be the best, but this learning experience has been, and I'm up in my forties, you know, has been probably (laughs) the best learning experience I've ever learned. And if I were to be in the classroom again, I know I'd do it a little bit differently because of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think the soft skills, I mean, I hate that term because it's not soft at all, but (laughs) I think if we're looking at soft skills and how are we incorporating that into our lessons and into our projects and our, in our daily life, I think that's going to make a student way more successful. You know, if you look at the qualities that are needed for future professions, you know, we're talking about future ready learners. It's not about a lot of times it's not the knowledge that they possess at all. It's, you know, how do they relate with people? How do they communicate, you know, communication right now, and especially with this, you know, distance learning and coronavirus and all, I mean, how much are we doing right now as far as being a communicator <laughs> through online? Um, if you're not able to even have those skills, you're not going to be successful. And so, you know, yes, the standards are important and obviously every state has those and we need to, to make sure that we're checking that box. But I think, like you said, it's very easy to align the standards with making sure that we're also imploring our students to use and be advanced with their soft skills. So true. And you, it's, it's astounding to me how many things you could check that I looked at my administrator rubric after I did this job for a year. And I thought, I mean, I was way off the right-hand side of that rubric, just with what I had learned by discovery. So I think we oftentimes we're scared to give up that much freedom just because it could get a little chaotic in the classroom. And then too, like we talked about earlier, you have students who are dealing with lots of different learning needs for, you know, and that adds a whole new layer of chaos that could happen in the classroom. But I, I do agree with you with the right now with this distance learning, we're having these opportunities where 
we can actually see the talents and strengths of some of our students that we never saw before. And by allowing them to have some of that freedom and to have some of that, those opportunities to be able to learn in a way that works for them, that's been pretty eye-opening for me as an onlooker. I know I'm not in the classroom right now, but talking to educators each day and hearing about some of the things they've discovered from their students that they never knew that they could do or that they were interested in. And so I feel like bringing some of that back. And then I also, I can't help but go back to, I know I'm coming full circle, but thinking about the students who life is not like that at home and is super stressful. And I think in those situations, our job and the same in our classroom, like it doesn't really matter where the setting is, but our job is to try to keep all kids' social emotional health as stable as possible because for many people, um, the teacher is the person who is on the front lines with any kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the front line with children. And yeah. they are what they say and what they do is immeasurable. And as an adult, I still remember my second grade teacher telling me stuff like, I believe in you. You're greater than your current circumstances. I didn't even know what those words meant in second grade, but I know that she believed in me. And I know that I held on to those words. And so even if we are face-to-face on a computer like this, teachers, if you're listening and you know students out there or you feel it upon your heart just to talk to them for real and let them know that you believe in them, that you, you know, they're capable of so much more. Let them know because it's just phrases sometimes that are heartfelt like that, that can hold a kid for a long, long time can help them get over the abuse, the deal, the, um, the hunger, the anything that they're dealing with at home. Sometimes just having those words ring over in your head over and over, I'm living proof of that, can just take you to the next level until you can get into a safe place of school and be able to learn again. So never underestimate the power of your words, good and bad. (laughs) Yeah. And what you're saying is so true right now. And it's scary too. You know, there are so many students, you know, that are already struggling with food on the plate and you know, so many people have lost jobs right now and, you know, are they even, you know, able to pay rent? And if someone is, let's say an alcoholic and has had some physical abuse, you know, those children are in that home and they're stuck in that home for a long duration of time. And so, like you said, it's so important. And I charge every educator out there, get on, you know, whatever platform you need to, to reach out to your students, to do just a mental health check just to try and relate, try and connect with them in some way. Because like you said, the power of teachers and educators in general is immense. And I can think of several teachers in my life that if I didn't have them and their influence, I would not be (laughs) speaking to you on a podcast right now. That's for sure. Um, Because they saw something in me that, like you said, I I didn't even know existed in myself. and. Again, we need to provide grace right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of students getting online to do some learning is not the most important thing in their life. Just surviving is the most important thing. And so if you can be a linchpin for that survival, mentally or physically, 
definitely make sure that you take that opportunity. Agreed. I feel like as an educator, you know, if we, like you said, it could be so simple too. I remember uh, when you were talking, I remember one of my fifth grade teachers sending me a handwritten letter to my house. I remember sleeping with that letter under my pillow. I, I literally slept with that letter under my pillow. It was so simple. I don't even remember exactly what it says, but I remember it just making me feel like I was a rock star and that I was capable of a lot of things like another teacher who believed in me. And I think um, in times like this, like you said, it's just important that we, we try to help build kids up or learners everywhere, even adults. I, I know a lot of adults that are struggling too. Yep. And we help to build them up because when, when we come back and we get some sort of norm, normal daily living <laughs> again, um, We'll we'll make up ground. I mean, we're educators. That's what we do. We yep. we find people. We meet people where they're at, and we help them to grow from there. But you know, avoiding any kind of um, mental health issues that we can is probably the most important thing we could do at this moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. So grateful I'm not a kid during this time because summers and breaks were always horrendous. I was the worst kid right before break. Um, I got to experience that as a teacher when my kids started acting out right before break. I'm like, why do you hate me all of a sudden? <laughs> but then I remembered that's exactly how I used to treat my teachers because it was so much easier to be mad at them and angry with them because of the situation I was in. I knew I was about to be in a terrible situation. So it was easier to leave the place that I love so much if I was angry at them. So typically I would just act out and be like almost get expelled. And so I just, <laughs> so I could deal with, but I didn't understand that as a kid. I didn't do it on purpose. You know, that's just no. like what my mind thought to do. <laughs> now as an adult, I'm like, man, I gave my teacher some hell like trying to do that all the time. <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah, but as educators, if we look at behavior as a form of communication, it changes everything. It does. Because you're right. There's so many kids that are they're acting out and they don't even sometimes know why. Yeah. It, it's subconsciously there. But if we are in tune with that and we see behavior as that communication, then it gives us some type of information <laughs> to, to be able to be like, oh, Tara's acting out. She typically doesn't do that. What is going on, right? And then we can start investigating and asking those questions and getting to a deeper level with that student to understand maybe they're in a really tough situation that they shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. And what can we do as educators and get the resources that they need to improve their life? Yeah. I remember it being eye-opening when I talked to my students and I would say, okay, I remember when I was a little girl, I used to get in a lot of trouble right before Christmas break. And I knew it was going to be two weeks and I was going to be worried about food and I was yep. going to be worried about important things. And, and I was in a safe place. It wasn't a place I ever wanted to be for a long extended amount of time. So do you feel like that could be the reason that you're upset right now and that you're, you know, you don't really hate me, right? <laughs> 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 because I really love you. And so, um, helping them to see that too. And just mm -hmm. talking straight with kids, I think it's really important um, to, to let them know, like, I see you. I, yes. I, I want to provide anything I can for you. One of the things we would do is just find 
places that were donating food for Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. And I would make sure that I got vouchers for all the kids that I knew were struggling or worried about that. Um, Just random things that you, you can maybe put in place to be able to help kids to feel like I'm right there with you and we're going to yep. be back together again soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any way to do that. And I know like our teachers are, they're doing fantastic as far as like dropping things off at, at doorsteps, um, you know, writing notes and sending that just in snail mail, like mm-hmm. <laughs> something that typically a lot of us don't even use um, in addition to trying to connect to that with them online. So, um, you know, any way that you can find that connection because you know, even I know email is the simplest thing to do, but right now people are so inundated with their inbox that that message most likely is not going to be received. And so what are some other avenues that we can use to, to try and get that connection? Um, because like you said, like that handwritten note, how powerful is that um, to, to have that tangible thing in front of you to be a reminder and you know, getting a postcard right now from, from your you know favorite teacher saying how much they miss you and love you and hope that you're doing well, you know, how powerful would that be to, to have and to hold on to potentially for the rest of your life? It's so true. I feel like, I think I still have that letter maybe in my keepsake box downstairs, mm-hmm. but you keep stuff like that. And like you said, you can hold on to it. People post, I see people posting stuff up on their computer or like right above their desk, just to see those handwritten notes over and over and over. So the stuff that we think sometimes is dead is actually still very much meaningful and helpful. And I think we're realizing that right now in this yep. situation where the things that we once took for granted, were like, Oh, this is so special. Yep. Like I was so busy. I forgot to notice this. Yeah. So, definitely refocusing everyone. It's so true. Well, thank you, Josh, for sharing so much about your journey with foster yeah. care and then how it's helped you to build these levels of empathy. I can relate so much to this story on a personal level. So I'm, I'm glad this is the topic you chose to talk about. I hope that educators out there that are listening feel like they can just use that that you have inside your chest. Just use your real heart and um, share that love with your students in any way that you can and give them those opportunities to be successful because honestly, in these times and in all times, really, that's what humans need. That's what humans crave. And that's how they thrive later. So, yeah, thanks, Josh. Anything no, else? No, thank you. Oh, no. Um, you know, if you want to learn more about just trauma-informed practices, um, myself and my wife, we, we've we got several blogs on my website, Um, to, you know, help those who are going through, you know, any type of experience as far as if you're in the foster care world or if you're in the educational world, um, just to give a little insight and some strategies. So if you're looking for a resource, um, that's definitely there. And then if you're, I know it's a totally different subject, but if you're looking to (laughs) enhance your leadership, um, definitely check out the podcast and it's aspire the leadership development podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. And I'm so excited that you're doing this for foster students too, because, um, they have a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. So thank you for reaching out and taking care of our babies out there and <laughs> giving them an opportunity to be successful that they may have not otherwise had without you. So I really appreciate that. And you and your wife taking that on. That's a tough journey, but it's so rewarding. 
very rewarding. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Well, thanks for being on the show and thanks for everyone for listening. Remember next week, same time, same place. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining The Real Journey Show. We are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others. Remember, real, it's all about being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. You can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.